This is the Well-Connected Twin Cities Podcast. I'm Lily Zaborowski. And I'm Alex Stahlberger. And we're here to help you feel empowered to own your well-being and discover what's possible. Tune in for conversations with local professionals as they share their inspirations, insights, and discoveries that make holistic healing possible. We're sharing the fascinating stories from within the wellness industry for health enthusiasts like you across the metro. It's all in your head, a dreaded phrase and seemingly super unhelpful. But what if there's some truth there? In this episode, I speak with Dr. Daniel Schilling, chiropractor and kinesiologist at Sequoia Health in Woodbury. He came on the show to talk with us about the power of QNRT, quantum neuro reset therapy, which as he explains, addresses the subconscious stress patterns that start in the brain and can manifest in our tissues, contributing to knee pain, digestive issues, back pain, and other dis-ease. This perspective to the phrase, it's all in your head, is surprisingly empowering. Listen as Dr. Schilling not only describes how this approach works, but gives us tips on how to start incorporating the fundamentals of the approach in our own lives today. Discover what's possible with QNRT. Hi everyone, uh, I'm Alex Stahlberger and I'm here with Dr. Daniel Schilling. He's a chiropractor and a kinesiologist and he's the founder of Sequoia Health, a truly integrative and empowering family uh, medicine center that is in Woodbury, Minnesota. Welcome, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you Alex, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, what's really neat about our conversation that's going to happen is um, he's going to not only tell us a bit about his story, what brought him to his current position and um, the mission of Sequoia Health and what what role that's playing in our community, especially as we are in a very exciting time in our history, as we're all becoming more aware, more empowered to take action. But he's going to share with us a bit about a specific technique called QNRT, and um, we're going to really dig into the role that has, um, how we can show up for us uh, in support of our nervous system, um, and talk a bit about the connection with trauma. So welcome, uh, Dr. Schilling, would you simply give us a bit of that insider scoop to how you came to this point in your life? Sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't see it happening when I was a young person, but it became sort of an evolutionary process. You know, when I was, I was born, um, part of my background is my mom had MS about six years before I was born, um, diagnosed four years before I was born. She was about 28 when she had me and I was kind of incubated in a womb that was sort of full of not the the best vibe, shall we say. Right. Mm. Um, she had a lot of manic depression and things like that. And so when I was growing up, she was kind of detached and it was hard to navigate those relationships. And that that's kind of played a role in all my relationships in my life. But how it led me to sort of into natural healthcare is because I saw so much unnecessary suffering. Like I saw her go from walk using a cane to using a walker, doing a wheelchair to being um, in her bed, just can't move, can't move herself, can't do anything for herself, live in a group home. And that was challenging, especially after seeing my grandmother succumb to complications of MS uh, in her lifetime. And now I know my aunt has um, a challenge she's currently facing with that. So for me, it's like I was thrust into natural health care because I dealt with, you know, asthma where I couldn't breathe. I was taking corticosteroids for over 30 years, given so many antibiotics, could probably kill a horse. Um, so still to this day, working on repairing my gut and things like that. Um, the asthma was debilitating because it limited me in my activities with friends. I couldn't go in hayloft in barns, um, couldn't play with cats or horses, anything like that. Um, I'd scratch myself till I bled because my guts were so torn up and my liver was dumping so much garbage out that my eczema was just crazy. So that I got into my 30s and I'm like, you know, why can't anybody teach me how to help myself? Why am, why am I limited to just take this medication or do this and then come back and see us? And that never made any sense to me. It wasn't until I went back to school after working as an engineer for seven years and being in the Peace Corps that I went back to school for chiropractic and said, what is the definition of a doctor? Because I didn't even know. I was like, well, that's fascinating. What is it? So it turns out it's doctor means teacher. And I didn't know that. I was like, wow, that is profound because all I've ever known is someone saying, here, take this. Let me inject that in your arm. You're getting surgery or drug, whatever it is. That's all I ever knew. I was like, white coat, prescriptions and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay. And it didn't dawn on me until I read that. Um, I think it's a Latin-based definition. And I was like, okay, this is what I have to do in order to make this happen. So um, what I need to make sure is that we are able to help people help themselves 
hmm. and not depend on anyone else, right? So the healer is within you, Alex. The healer is within every one of your listeners and your viewers because the healer is within you, okay? And so if you understand that, like if you imagine the sperm and egg came together and all of a sudden this amazing human being sitting in front of us is Alex, right? The, the knowledge that made you, it can also heal you, okay? So the healer is within. The doctor is not the healer. No matter what practitioner, and I fervently believe this, no matter what practitioner you go see, they're not the healer. They are the facilitator. My job as the doctors, the teachers, is to remove barriers from your path, help you have insights about your health and your, um, your systems and what's working and what's not, and saying, okay, this is what your roadblocks are. Let me help you facilitate those. Let me help you make a, become aware of those. So what is my symptoms? Where are they coming from? How to get rid of them? How to never have them again? And then be able to teach you how to help yourself. You know, there's an old, I think it's probably a, a biblical thing that says, give a woman a fish. What does she do for today, right? She eats for today. But if, if I or someone else can teach you how to fish, you can eat for the rest of your life. You can help yourself for the rest of your life. So my passion came in to say, no one is ever able to teach me how to help myself. So when I got my worked my way out of bleeding skin with eczema, unable to breathe the asthma, massive food sensitivities, allergic to every pet, every grass, every pond. When you come out of that, you feel a moral obligation to say, I got to help other people figure this out because if I can do it and I taught myself because no one else was willing to or able to, um, you know, Lord knows there's people that are way more um, intelligent out there, but as far as like, when you meet someone that's kind of come from out of the desert to the oasis or out of the woods and save themselves, if you will, and they're, they just feel a sense of obligation. That's just what I feel um, as far as helping other people. So it's kind of been my path. I just feel like your story, first of all, um, thank you for sharing it, but I, I've heard so many similar stories, you know, uh, of people that have these debilitating, um, what they believe is their, their cards they've been dealt. Um, and so to hear your story and realize it took you know, a, a, a long time to yeah. come to the conclusion that our actions can have an influence right. on the way that you're able to live day in and day out um, and to be there to support, facilitate some of that knowledge. That's okay. amazing. I've, I'm curious. So you, you mentioned going back to school to be a chiropractor and then questioning what is the role of a doctor? Did that right. happen before going back to school as a chiropractor? Is that like through school? Like what drove you to chiropractic school? Um, so I, I, when I was in the Peace Corps, I was in Mexico and I sat down at a table and I said, okay, what are all the different modalities I'm interested in working in? Because I was fascinated with natural healthcare. And I looked at allopathy, which is, for those who don't know, is a medical doctor. And then there's an osteopath, which is sort of a hybrid between a chiropractor and a medical doctor. They do with pharmacology and medication, stuff like that. But they also do what's called osteopath, osteopathic manipulative treatment, which is called OMT, which is uh, moving of the joints and things like that. And then I was looking at what was massage therapist do? What does a physical therapist do? What does a, a physical trainer do? Traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And there's chiropractic. And I think there were several other things. I had it all on a piece of, like each one had its own piece of paper. And I was like, pros and cons, um, belief systems, philosophies, and all that other stuff. And I put it down. I'm a very active person. You know, I played sports in high school and college. I wanted to be mobile. I, I worked in as an engineer, so I didn't want to sit at a desk any longer. I didn't want to sit there for eight to 10 hours a day designing things or doing process improvements. I was like, I need to get my hands on, right? Mm -hmm. Practic and osteopathy were the two things that drew my most attention among things like um, physical trainers and, and body workers like Rolfing or, um, you know, things that the fascia, um, all that kind of stuff, right? So I, I had to find kind of my niche and that really spoke to me because it was hands-on, it was active, it was wellness-based, it was holistic-based and it was like, wow, this really speaks to me. So I get to school and I went to Northwestern here in Minnesota because it interested me because I had already been away from my family for two and a half years. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be away from my, my nephew and my niece and my brother and sister. My sister lived in Lincoln at the time, but my parents were here. Um, and so I decided to come back home and study here. In hindsight, I might've chosen a different college for the philosophy, but Northwestern's very medical based and they were, they were really being a scientist I was then more, I'm sort of a naturalist now, but more like the hard line, what's the connection? A has to connect to B to C to D. No, I'm not that way anymore. <laughs> that was me then. So that's what kind of drove me back to that program. But um, understanding, you know, all the fundamentals of chiropractic and how it fulfilled all of my interest levels. And I was like, wow, this is great. So then when I got into school and that's when I was like, it makes sense that we're being taught how to, I came to the conclusion. I was like, they're teaching us how to pass our boards. They're not teaching us how to be doctors. Mm. And, and that doesn't matter if you go to medical school for osteopathy, for allopathic medicine, for MD or anything else. You don't, you're not taught how to be a doctor. You're taught how to get fundamentals. 
So mm -hmm. your, your degree is really like an aptitude test. Like passing your board says, yep, I have the aptitude to retain this much information and apply it. That's all you get. Yeah. You have to put wow. it into practice. So out of the 10 terms at Northwestern, about the third term in, I was kind of like, oh, there's got to be something more than this. <laughs> and so I had an upperclassman who um, I was playing hockey for the Northwestern team at that time. And I strained my groin. If you ever strain your groin playing soccer, you know that groins are pretty challenging. Well, it turns out it's pretty related to stress. Um, so groin injuries are related to stress or liver stress or things like that. So I had an upperclassman who tested some muscles on my groin, found out my pubic joint was off, gave me an adjustment. And that was like, I could skate that night. And I was like, well, this is crazy. I'm like three weeks to zero days. I'm like, awesome, let's do this. So I started going to seminar after seminar after seminar every weekend, learning about the muscles and the nerves that, that run them and what part of the spine they come out of and what the organ systems are attached to. And, and then, um, you know, what nutrients are supporting those and what stressors are going on with those. And it's like this rabbit hole. It's like the matrix, the blue pill, red pill. Um, <laughs> I'm on the Dean's list now, but that's not really helping me. I'm not excited about that. Throw that away. I'm taking this one. So, you know, I mean, you graduate the 3.5 and everybody's happy because you still proven, you know what this stuff is, but I help, I help thousands more people than my colleagues. And that's not to say what they're doing is not helpful, but I look at people from a holistic standpoint and say, what's their stress? What are their toxins? What are their um, physical maladies? What are they unable to do? Mm -hmm. And I approach them that way. It's called the triad of health in mm -hmm. a kinesiology. Yeah. So for me, it's like, wow, that's, I'm all in. Yeah. Like that's how I got into it. It's just been an evolution. I learned something new every day. Um, I'm challenging my thoughts and my beliefs and everything like that every day because it, it, I know when I do that, I'm going to help more people rather than thinking, oh, yep, I got this. It's a piece of cake. I, even before they walk in the door, I know what's wrong with them. You know, no, I think of everything as an opportunity. Even in our morning affirmations, we talk about every problem we face, we turn into excitement. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. And we set the frame. Yeah. Um, so that way I feel I, I, I'm carrying myself in a humble way. So when you or someone else comes into the clinic, I can say, okay, I'm here to help you understand yourself better rather than me showing you like how smart I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no book I can read, no class I can take that's ever going to teach me more about you than your body can teach me because the innate intelligence is already in there. Yeah. So I just need to be smart enough to be humble enough to say the body can teach me rather than me saying, oh, let me just, let me just educate your spine. I'm just going to educate your spine, educate your spine, educate your spine. It's going to listen to what I have to say. And then I'm going to maintain it that way rather than saying, well, what if we went upstream and like the brain tells the muscles what to do and the muscles move the joints. So if I'm moving the joints, but I'm not telling the muscles, the brain, how to change to me, that doesn't make any sense. So, um, I adjusting is not, um, uh, fit like the chiropractic manipulative treatment. We typically do. I work on the muscles because the muscles are controlling the bones and the brain. Then I help nurture the brain back to, to balance things like that. I love how you're bringing, like you said, it's, it's a perspective shift right? We're usually mm -hmm. so focused in on what the ailment is or what the, what we're, what we're aware of at the time. And what you're really facilitating is really supporting you to step back, maybe shift focus a little bit and really see how every, like, what's the function of everything? How is it all working together? How do you, how would you like it to all work together? And how do we get you there? there you love that. So then Sequoia, first of all, it's a very interesting name. I love, I love that. <laughs> Sequoia, is yeah. that named after the tree? It is. It's the phonetic spelling. Mm -hmm. So if you write it out, Sequoia, you know, not the S-E-Q-U-O-I-A, like the tree, the great redwood out in, uh, you know, California and Washington. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's the tree of life. So the goal is that the Sequoia tree has very specific tannic acids that protect it from fires. Like it actually has its own fire retardant system. And if you've ever had the, the, seen the dichotomy of a, a, a Sequoia tree, it is super tall but the, the, the canopy on the top is super tiny and the acorns are tiny by comparison. So it's amazing that something that small can grow into something that grandiose, mm -hmm. shall we say. So when you think about it that way, it's all about the inspiration to, to be your best, to grow your, your tallest, to be your strongest. And yet understand like trees in the forest are all interconnected. If you've never seen the movie um, Avatar, it's a great example of understanding, you know, Awa and the interconnectedness of the forest. Yes. And like for me, that, that movie just speaks to me because I know it's a corollary or a par like a parable with the Native Americans and, um, you know, the, the settlers that came in and basically disrupt. I mean, that's the way I see it. I could be completely wrong. Maybe Ridley Scott or whoever it was that made that was like, no, that's not what it is. But that's the way I see it. But if you think that the, the sequoia tree is interconnected with the forest and it is not letting go because it, it so it used to be thought that the, the, the tall trees will block out the sun so the small trees can't grow. But what's interesting is the tall trees actually feed the small ones and then the smaller ones feed back to the trees. It's this inner interrelated dance and it's so cool. So knowing that the sequoia is the tree of life, understanding that it's like, okay, what better name could you pick for understanding the metaphor for life of, other than, you know, 
here's a here's a funny joke for you. Uh, how how tall does a tree grow? I don't know how tall. As tall as it can go, right? Why would humans live down to anything less than their greatest potential? Mm, right. I love that. How many times? How many times do they give a baby a chance to walk before they stop the baby? Like, no, you just give up. No. It, it doesn't happen, right? Right. You let the kid crawl and fumble around and figure it out, and usually knock their head or something <laughs> like that, and they fall over and whatever it is, right? So understanding that you don't stop someone to from expressing their greatest potential. So here we're dedicated to helping people rediscover the idea that they're unlimited and live the life of their dreams. That's that's part of our morning affirmation every day. Oh, I love that so much. And so like a great segue in talking about tools that you use to do that. So I, from what you've said, you know, that empowerment education piece is obviously essential. That sounds like the very core of what you do. Um, tell me a bit about when did QNRT come into the picture? What is it, first of all, and how does it kind of plug into this main idea? Absolutely. So it is part and parcel with everything we do. Um, I became aware of QNRT somewhere 2015. Um, and it became out of necessity because my wife, Sarah, had lost her sister um, when her sister was giving birth to her second kid. So she had sit, sat up on the table, had an amniotic embolism, party was over. So that was a, a mm -hmm. traumatic experience for my sister because they were like, you know, I mean, you can't get any more intertwined, you know. Back in the days when they had Boxer, they spent essentially like 50 Boxer messages a day. It was like ridiculous. So they were the BFFs, right? So that stress trauma, that shock trauma, literally incapacitated her. She couldn't go to work. She couldn't stop sobbing. She couldn't leave the bedroom. She wouldn't leave our apartment at the time. She just was non-functioning. And so I encouraged her to go do some EMDR because that's what I knew at that time, <clears throat> not myself, but from other people. Because I've never thought of talking about our problems as very effective. There needs to be some type of stimulus that changes how our brain functions. So eye movement, desensitization, reset um, type of thing for the EMDR. I'm like, oh, go do this. And so she went to see somebody, she felt, she felt a little bit better, a little bit of reaction, but um, I was like, okay, well, there's this other thing that I know one of my colleagues, Dr. Steve Irison was doing at the time called QNRT, quantum neuro reset therapy. And he was one of the first and only four people that maintained doing the technique. Um, Dr. John Turner, who developed the technique back in 08 or something like that, had taught them and then a bunch of other people, but nobody ever practiced it except for maybe they call them the fab four, four chiropractors that continued on. Fast forward eight years, Dr. Turner was still not teaching. So I couldn't learn it myself. So I, I said, Sarah, I think you should go see Dr. Airstone and get a QRT reset. I've heard great things about it. I don't know if about it. And she's like, ah, you know, I'm not really ready for another thing, you know, cause she was just in this, this completely, you know, um, dejected state, unable to process things. So what she did was I said, okay, if you're not going to go then I'm going to go. So I went down there, saw him, got treated myself. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Fortunately, um, she went down eventually and saw him, got a reset. And after one reset, she wasn't able to make herself cry. Like she was like, have you ever seen the movie Holiday with um, Cameron Diaz? Yes. She's like, <laughs> looking for the tears. Like, I'm getting a feeling you're a movie buff. At times, I love this. My team would probably um, support that. I tend to live in movies. <laughs> but, you know, she's trying to make herself cry and she just can't yeah. muster up the emotions. Well, it didn't rob Sarah of the mourning process, but it did take away the charge. So mm. the events in our lives can either be our wisdom to propel us forward or they can be anchors to hold us in the past. So when you get a reset, it, it literally, you find it, you own it, you feel it, you reset it and you forget it. You don't need to walk around continuing thinking about things. You don't have to go back. Okay. You know, Alex, tell me about a time, you know, when you were five and you had the traumatic experience and the dog bitch in the face or whatever it was, you know, or dad or your cousin or mom or whatever it was. It's not about reliving it. It's about literally finding it, repatterning the brain and then moving on. And I'll get to about how we do that in a minute. So I fast forward from 2015, you know, January-ish when I first went and saw him to Dr. Turner came out of retirement, shall we say, and started teaching in 2016. So I'm like, sweet, sign me up. So I started right in January, 2016. And I've done, since 2016, I've probably done over 6,000, maybe 7,000 resets at this point on, on other people. And I've received at least one a week ever since, ever since January, 2015. So I, I, I don't just drink my Kool-Aid, I bathe in my Kool-Aid. I wash in my Kool-Aid, <laughs> right? Because I know that I've inherited enough garbage that if I'm not mindful of it, it will hold me back. But most of it is, it's in our subconscious brain. You can't mm. touch it or feel it. It holds you back. But not only does it hold you back from where you want to go in life, it holds you back physically because our thoughts, our emotions are the language of our body and our thoughts are language of our mind. And we live in a subconscious brain 95 to 98% of the time. 
So when you understand that, the traumas from the past, and we'll talk about your generational inherited stresses in a minute. The traumas that we've experienced, either inherited and or experienced in our lifetime, they will literally hold us back. There are things called negative patterns. It's like, if you've ever driven down a straight road and you kind of like, oh, this is easy, I'll just kind of stretch a little bit, take the hands off the wheel. Provided your alignment's correct, you'll just keep going straight, right? Well, on the road of life, we have straight lanes and we have curves, right? But sometimes when we think we're on a straight lane, we take our eye off the wheel, we're kind of like relaxing and sort of our natural rhythm in life. And what we do is we go forward and we say, okay, this is fine. And then you bring your eyes back to the road and all of a sudden you're veering toward the ditch, right? Ah, yank the wheel, get back on there. Oh, okay. Whew. And then it's like your pattern. Like every once in a while, you find yourself just drifting toward the ditch. You're like, hey, wait a minute, what happened? Get back on track. <laughs> so that's like a negative pattern. It's an underlying cause of self-sabotage. Somehow we just keep mm. ripping ourselves up. And it's like, I can't put my finger on it, but something just seems to go wrong. Like, why do I keep dating the same person? Why do I keep finding the same jobs? Why does this health problem keep persisting in my life? Because it's all governed by your subconscious brain but you can't see it, touch it, or feel it. And it governs 95 to 90% of your life. So it's a, it's a really important thing to touch on because if you don't, you're destined to live the path. So you and I, you're, you're probably mid-20s. I don't, I haven't, yeah. okay, mid-20s. So by the time you're 30, uh, and this is researched by Bruce Lipton, if you don't know who Bruce Lipton is, a wonderful guy, um, neuroscientist, stem cell researcher, and things like that. But basically, by the time you're 30, he and Joe Dispenza, so Joe Dispenza and, and um, Bruce Lipton are two great individuals to kind of, for your listeners to check in with. Yeah, so basically, links. here I go with the movie again, right? So Groundhog, yeah, I'm ready. Bill Murray, he relives the same day over and over until he learns the lesson and he can move on from it or he can start living a different life. Hmm. We'll keep repeating the same pattern in our life over and over until we overcome that lesson and say, oh, oh, okay. There's even an old fable where a person walks down a street, falls in a hole. They're like, well, that was weird. Next day, they walk down the same street. Like, I'll take this way. And they fall in a hole again. And they do that three or four times. And they finally say, wait, I'm not going to go down the street. I'm going to take a different street. Mm-hmm. But if you're not aware of that, that road of life, that walkway of life, that pattern, you just keep falling in the same hole. Yeah. But what QNRT does is it helps identify the brain lobe where the stress is in. It could be the cerebral medulla on the center strap. It could be your motor cortex, your sensory, your post-sensory, it could be um, premotor sensory, it could be the hypothalamus, the brainstem, the midbrain. Each one of your brain lobes holds a different stress in there. And if you ever type in Google, like type in Google images and go cortical homunculus, it's called a little man. And it'll show you how like gigantic hands, big head, face, big feet, and then tiny little body. Because there's not a lot of nerve endings on the body, but there's tons on the fingers, lips, face, tongue, genitals, and feet, and stuff like that. And you can see how the body is mapped on the brain it'll like show you an overlay of the body on the brain so that's one of the tools we use like we'll laser the different parts of the brain to access that reflex okay so just like if i were to take my knee and hit that and my foot goes forward mm-hmm. same thing happens with your emotional reflexes and your physical reflexes so you have reactions in your body that could be sweating could be chills it could be for some people rain nods where their fingers go blanched um it could be you know a drop foot it could be um, loose bowels i mean it could be anything any symptom you have in your body. One thing to keep in mind, in the absence of trauma, the body breaks down on the inside before the outside, okay? So once again, in the absence of trauma, the body breaks down on the inside before the outside. Mm. So if you have a symptom on the outside and you haven't had a trauma, it is a signal from the inside of your body, which I generally recommend people think of it as an old wound or an old memory that's kind of just surfacing. That's all it is. Interesting. So if you can identify it, you can short circuit and say, aha, I acknowledge you, I see you, but I realize you're a memory from the past or a stress from the past, and I'm not going to let you run my life anymore. Hmm. That's part of the process. We help bring people's awareness up to say, this is the stress in your life. This is the stress. This is the patterns holding you back. This is the person or people that are involved. This is when it happened in your life, and this is who's triggering you now. Because mm-hmm. a lot of what happens is our trigger stresses in your current time frame, your current age, when something happened, maybe when you're three, four, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. <clears throat> because if you don't know about brain development, for the first seven years of your life, you're not a thinking person. The front, the 40%, this whole forehead of mine, which is 40% of my brain, doesn't turn on until you st- start turning on until you're seven. It doesn't fully develop until you're 20, 22. So your reasoning and your creativity and your problem solving skills don't turn on fully until you're in your 20s. Women, mm-hmm. ladies and women tend to start and develop faster than men. So men may be 22, 24, women are usually 20, 22 when it fully develops. But if you understand that, 
the first seven years of your life are the most pivotal. So the more traumas or stressors you experience in the first seven years of your life, when your, your limbic system, your emotional brain is, is the most fast developing. In fact, the first two years of your life are the most. So the more stress in your life in the first two years of your life, the more challenges you're going to have later in life. Okay? Interesting. Now, yeah. Early remembers the first two years of your life. Thank okay? goodness. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're basically, uh, for the first seven years of your life, it's like you're being hypnotized. Mm. You know, we talk about if you were to get an iPad or an iPhone or a Samsung or something like that from a store, which didn't have any programs on it, how effective would that be for you? Oh, like useless. Wouldn't function, right? Mm-hmm. Your AirPods wouldn't work at all. No. So Bruce Lipton talks about you're basically a blank slate that needs to have programs put on it. Okay. So when we think about QNRT, we're, we're reprogramming the brain. I literally talk about to our participants, I call people participants. So if that throws you off, people, other people call them patients. Patient means suffering. So we call people participants because you're actively involved in your care. So we help people understand when they're involved in their care, like, look, this is a program you received when you were younger and it's a disempowering program that no longer serves you through this QRT. And we use neurofeedback as well, which helps train the brain on how to operate mm, yeah. and help the brain function better. So we can say, okay, here's your old trauma, but it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to hold you back anymore. Let's, sure. let's turn that into wisdom so you can empower other people to live their best life by sharing your experiences with them. They can become aware of their challenges, what's holding them back. And then you, everybody can get ahead with our little help from our friends. Love that. I'm hearing some elements of some talk involved. You mentioned neurofeedback. What is, and you call it a reset. So is, could we also like, when we conceptualize it, is it like a session? Can you walk me through what that actually feels like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you, there's a couple of different testimonials uh, on our website that involves just some footage, some B-roll of, of some of the resets we've done. So it involves you know, doing a Romberg's test where you stand up and you have your feet and heels together and you close your eyes and you look which way you sway. Cause that tells me which, what, which one of your cerebellum is showing more stress. And then from there we determine, is it in the cerebellum? If it's not in the cerebellum, then we check your brainstem, the midbrain, um, then we can check the temporal lobes, uh, sensory, post-sensory lobes. There's all kinds of different brain lobes we can test with the eye movements. Okay. So each, each direction of the cardinal fields of vision have a different brain lobe associated with them. And by testing that, we can get an insight into which brain lobe it is. Hmm. And then we can go in to find out which tissue it's trapped in. Okay. So yes, a session, generally speaking, we, we test the balance. We would open up the hypothalamus because everything goes through your body up into the hypothalamus and then it goes into the thalamus and then is directed into the brain. It's like a command center, a relay center. So when you think about it, a session would look like evaluating the, the balance, okay, getting the cerebellum involved, getting your brain lobe identified, figuring out what tissue stress it's, is held in. Because remember, emotions are language of your body, thoughts are language of your brain. So mm-hmm. if you have an emotion, like for example, when you get butterflies in your, what do you fill in the blank for me? Stomach. Yeah. You don't get butterflies in this corner of your head. <laughs> right. You feel sadness and grief, you feel it where? In your chest, heavy heart, um, I feel so heavy and burdened. You don't feel sadness back here. Okay? Yeah. yeah. You don't feel glee and, and, and excitement and overjoy up here. It's down here. It's a visceral reaction. Sure. Okay? If you have pain in your knee and you haven't whacked your knee on something, you're probably dealing with uncertainty or inability to move forward with something, right? Mm-hmm. If you have hip pain, you might be bearing someone else's stress. You might be dealing with bearing too much load, inability to carry the load, unable to bear it, right? If you have wrist pain, oh, I didn't hurt my wrist, what happened? Well, I'm feeling underrecognized, overworked, or underappreciated. Every single tissue in your body has, a, has a, some type of stress tissue with it. Wow. So when you have the trauma, your body holds it in that tissue. Yeah. People, people that have, we call it dancer here, but take the D out and put the C in there. It's a pretty egregious illness that medical doctors say there's no hope for, there's no cure yet. We're finding a cure. Susan G. Coleman's working hard on it and things like that. <clears throat> what you can appreciate is cancer always starts in the mind, not the brain, the mind, the conflict in the mind and the density starts to develop in the tissue. That's what a tumor is. Okay. So mm-hmm. a tumor is really density which is an unresolved conflict between the brain body connection. Okay. So a breast tissue lump might be um, worry, a nest issue, like someone worrying, a mother worrying about their kids. Um, it might be a bitter disagreement over a fundamental issue with a spouse. It just depends. And then you can determine, okay, is it on the non-dominant side or the dominant side? Which hand of the dominant will determine which side of the brain it is, the different roles, whether it's a nurturing role or an authority role, all this different stuff. So these are all the things we, work for, we look for. 
We look for the state of the adrenals, which is either alarm, resistance, or exhaustion. We can check the conflict, which is like a mental, auditory, visual, shame or guilt, emotional relationship. You can check physical, wow. kinesthetic, which means inability to process it or like a situational kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So everybody's got a little different thing going on. Okay. So we identify all those things and we figure out where it started in life. If it's a, if it's a trigger stress, if it's an old one, we call it confusion stress. So that means it might've been a younger age. And because the, the wound never healed, it's still open. And so someone today can pick the scab off of it, shall we say, and mm -hmm. reopen that wound. Okay. Yeah. So your brain actually literally, if you have a trauma, a stress trauma at five years old and you're 45 and you get it triggered, you will literally, your brain will literally operate like you were a five-year-old at the emotional level, which will cause you to react in a five-year-old manner, you mm -hmm. know, out of anger or frustration and storm out of there or whatever it is. Okay. Yeah, right. So when we, can, when we can stop, like if you've ever heard of the word or the term equanimous, okay, have you ever no. heard of that term? Mm -mm. It's, like, it's like being the unaffected observer. That for me is like nirvana. As I, as I feel like I work every day at becoming more equanimous and, and observing things as they are, whether someone sends me a message on a text or an email or a phone call, I simply take a step back and say, okay, I'm observing this message and I'm not processing it emotionally. I want to see what and, and analyze what their intent was before I feel something related to it. Mm, no. Putting space between the exactly. stimulus and the response. That can be breath, that can be reading and setting down, that can be hearing and walking away. Say, mm -hmm. you know what? Uh, I don't know what it is, but something doesn't sit well with me about what was what I just heard. I need a second to process that and you can just walk away. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll be right back. I'm not closing this conversation. I'm honoring your, your need to be heard, but I need to process this right now. So you take a step away and you walk away and you come back and say, okay, I'm feeling more centered now. Let's have a conversation about this, okay? Yeah. One of the hardest things as human beings is when people say things, it's not really how we process it. It's, it's, it's literally how our nervous system reacts to it. So words are like knives. Words are like daggers if we're not careful. And words can be just as powerful as a, as a punch, even more powerful sometimes. Wow, that's a really interesting perspective. That's worth repeating again. So the, the impact on your nervous system that words Absolutely. can have can be a very physical wound. Absolutely. It can hit you viscerally. You can feel like someone just kicked you in the chest. Like, wow, I've just been, I just feel betrayed or I've been like stabbed in the gut. Like I feel like rejected, like whatever that is. When you feel it, if you feel a sensation, just identify and say, okay, what stress is that related to? What hmm. relationship is that related to? And that's your key to freedom. Got because it. when you're not beholden to the emotion or the reaction or the, the visceral sensation, you're free. And you can say, okay, identify it was in this relationship with this person. And then you can go back and say, you know, Susie, the other day, uh, when I heard, I felt, right? So when I heard you say, I felt hurt, because you're owning your feelings, you're not blaming them for them. Because you've heard it probably a thousand times, you made me feel, mm. you know, Alex, the other day, you said that you made me feel, right? Mm. Who am I giving my power away to? You. Yeah. I'm blaming you for, for how I feel, but I'm also giving you power over me. So when we can stop and listen to what comes out of our mouth, or even our thoughts in our head, we can say, I'm observing that thought. And I realized that I said that they made me feel mm -hmm. rather than saying, you know what? No, I feel. So okay. a so Q and RT session is really the information we need to start to shift the way we process our own emotional responses. If I'm understanding this correctly. Exactly. Yep. yep. So and that's can, why this can be an ongoing sure. reset. Like you've yep. mentioned, you get resets quite frequently. I just and know that, that I feel better and I operate better in life. And I'm the more clear I am and the yeah. less of my own junk. Like if I walk in here every morning and I was thinking about, I wonder how Samuel's doing at the NICU right now in Madison. And I wonder if Sarah's getting enough sleep. And I wonder if he's going to continue to breathe every day or if he's going to have to get stimulated because we're on day three of five before he comes home. Because, mm -hmm. you know, he's only four weeks into the world. He's still supposed to be in the womb for another five weeks, but he's breathing on his own. He's nursing on his own. He's having bowel movements, you know, taking bottles. He's doing everything he needs to do, but he's still five weeks shy of when he was supposed to be born because he's born nine weeks early. So if I brought all that stuff in here, I, you know, hanging on my, sh my shirt sleeve, right? So our morning affirmation, every morning when we get to the clinic is we're present, we're mindful, we check our worries at the door. Hmm. We're one mind, we're consciousness, we're leaders of a health, of revolution, health and wellness. That's how we start off our affirmation. So for me, that helps me center myself hmm. and helps me take, okay, I have all these things that are in my mind that could distract me from my participant but I need to literally hang them on the worry tree out front. 
because I'm here to serve them. And that allows me to have the centered clarity to say, okay, not, none of my junk is going to creep into that reset. Mm -hmm. If I'm resetting and if I'm working on their structure, resetting their, we call it chiropractic brain balancing. Um, if I'm working on, you know, their metabolic systems and doing their reaction pathways, it's all about centering ourselves. So each, each one of us can do things. I don't know if it was Dispenza, Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I learned from, but like a transition meditation. Like I literally, I'll pull up in the driveway and I'll say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning from my work mind to my family mind. And I'm, I'm going to focus on my kid, my, my Sophia. And right now I'm focused on Sarah when it was just three of us. And now, you know, when I get to the clinic, I, I pull up in the drive in the parking lot outside and I say, okay, I'm transitioning, I'm transitioning into my, my teacher hat now. And, and the cool thing is I get to learn just as much as they do. It may be not as profound, but I get, I get little nuggets here and there. And, and the more you kind of listen to the whispers, the more you learn. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's like QNRT allows me to be centered. That's why I do it every week. I would, mm. I'd literally do one every day if I could, because <laughs> you just feel centered. You just feel calm and relaxed. And you're like, Oh, I have clarity. Yeah. I think in the back of my mind, it's been nagging at me I, and I can never put my finger on it. I now know what it is. And I now have yeah. actionable information that I have less of an emotional charge on it. And I now can take action in my life mm. to address that relationship or that situation, or that scenario that has been gnawing at me. Right. Sure. For example, someone comes in with, with um, an inability to digest. They literally cannot eat food. Mm -hmm. That's an, it's called an indigestible morsel conflict. Okay. We're talking about German new medicine now. All QNRT is based on German new medicine, which I'll get to in a second. So indigestible morsel conflict. It's like something so frustrating or so challenging to my psyche. It literally is indigestible from a physical standpoint. So you can feel like you get this knot stuck in your throat and you can't swallow mm. food. You might get reflux. You might throw up. Okay. Indigestible yeah. morsel conflict. It's, it's a metaphor, right? But you can also have somebody who's a pain in their throat. Maybe they're not speaking their truth. They're not saying what is need to be said, right? Hmm. You see how this all ties together. Yeah. Right? Yes. Ninety-five percent of what people bring in here is is almost always uh, neurological or neuroemotional in basis, but it mm -hmm. manifests in the in the somatic tissues, like the tissues, arms, yeah. legs, body, gut, digestion, detoxification, hormone conversion, all of it. So you know? let's talk about the people that know they they're like trauma. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've I don't think I've been subject to trauma. Absolutely. I mean, it, let's, let's talk about the application of this practice on somebody who can't really pull up a situation that. Absolutely. Most of them are forgotten or they just make sense because that's what their life is. Mm -hmm. So QNRT is based on the adverse, adverse childhood experiences study. You've never heard of the ACE study. It was done by Kaiser Permanente, which is an insurance company and their center for disease control. They worked together and did a longitudinal study of over 10,000 people over a long period of time because they want to know why are people getting sick and not getting better? What they found was the more adverse childhood experiences and the more earlier in life, the, the more profound they had, the greater predictor of their ill health in the future. So here's some examples of ACEs, a, a parent who's absent physically or emotionally, a parent who's abusive physically, emotionally, monetarily, um, things like that. <clears throat> it can be living in abject poverty. It can have a parent who dies, things like that. It can be a physical abuse. It can be um, a bully, okay? the list goes on and on, right? So what you want to appreciate is these things have a profound impact on your psyche or someone else's psyche. So for example, you know, one might say, well, I grew up in mom and dad were both there and it seemed like we were June Cleaver, like, you know, the cleavers, the beaver, you probably don't leave it to beaver, but that's, you know, when I was growing up, that's what it was common, okay? So everything seemed hunky-dory, everything was fine. I don't understand why I'm so traumatized, right? And then you have other people who had, um, um, inappropriate touching from their cousin later on they had from their dad and things like that and, and maybe someone didn't step up for them so they then they later on in college or later on in their life they were physically assaulted and it becomes a pattern okay mm -hmm. it's not like you have a, a kick me sign on your back but how we carry ourselves is based on how we see ourselves okay hmm. so these yeah. traumas can come in many different forms okay um for example my brother six years older than him god love him i'm trying okay he beat the crap out of me a lot. Okay. He took his frustration on me. That set me up to be bullied later on. Now picture I'm 5'11 in eighth grade and I got seniors in high school trying to pick on me because they're intimidated. They think they're the big shot and stuff like that. But that conditioning from him led me to believe that I should accept that or that I should, I should, I, I carried myself as a target. Does that make sense? So physically, well, like the way that you walk, the way that you would interact with people. Yep. 
-hmm. So what we're, most of us are unaware of is how we're carrying ourselves. The most important thing you can do is define yourself and how you want to see yourself because your mind, and this is kind of Tony Robbins thing, your mind will start creating your world to stay congruent or consistent with how you see yourself. You know, you can talk, you can listen to Joel Osteen's um, I am seminar, I am ministry, which is everything that follows I am is how you're going to define yourself. Look in the mirror every morning. I am beautiful. I am strong. I'm resilient. I am, I'm younger every day. I'm resilient. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a uh, quick learner. Everything you put after I am is going to come looking for you. All right. Mm -hmm. If you say I'm ugly, I look older every day. I'm not so smart and this and that. You imagine where that's going to take you, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, Jim Rohn talks about waking up in the morning and looking at the news or going to bed watching the news. Like you wake up reading the paper, like murders and riots and stabbings and stealings and crimes and stuff like that. You start your day with that. Right. You look in the mirror every morning, how you speak to yourself is going to dictate the, the direction of your day. Yeah. Right? Um, so your attitude determines your altitude. So said uh, Zig Ziglar. So there's all kinds of different ideas in there that can affect your psyche. Yeah. One of my questions I wanted to ask is what, what action can we take like right now today, whenever you're listening that yeah. can apply what we've learned through QNRT. And I, you, I think you may have just answered it. Mm -hmm. Sure. One of the things I recommend people do is journal and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. They don't have to sit there and like write, you know, a novel. You can have a, a, a two inch by three inch or two inch by two by four, a little flip notebook and just write down ideas. Like, man, I feel really crummy. Like right now, like what's going on? Like, just start noting like, I feel crummy. It started an hour ago. It's getting worse as I go. I remember an hour ago, I was having lunch with one of my coworkers or a friend or something like that. And they were really depressed about something. And so what was I feeling? Why did that, why did that affect me? So you start becoming the observer of your life like you're watching a movie. And you will get so much insight by just observing. Don't judge it. Don't say right, wrong, good or bad. Just say, this is what happened. This is what I noticed. This is what I experienced. This is what I felt. And I'm just becoming aware of my patterns. Well, I'm noticing that not only did yesterday or let's say earlier today, I was feeling kind of crummy after talking with so-and-so, but you know, two days ago on the weekend, I was hanging out with my other friend and I was feeling the same way. You start seeing a pattern. Like right. I'm associating myself with people that are not necessarily, you know, feeling great about life on the up and up and they're not, you know, not getting the most out of life because if we're not careful, misery loves company, right? Mm -hmm. So we gotta be aware of what our patterns are. So QNRT makes you aware of the pattern, but if you can spend a little bit of time every day or even when you have a reaction or something like that, let's just say you have an outburst, like you react to somebody like, ah, you know, whatever. You know, after, after a while you're like, man, that was intense. I wonder why I reacted like that. What was it? Start understanding yourself. Like what was it that caused me to react like that? What did I hear? What did I see? What does it remind me of? And you become, start becoming aware of your patterns. And that's how you, you take Groundhog Day and you start creating the life you desire. And we've and, come full circle with the movie yep, analogy. Right. Here right. it is. <laughs> and when you become aware of your patterns, you can change your life. Yeah. Right? Wow. And that's powerful. This way to determine your future is by predicting it. You create your future. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of things out there. So for example, learninggnm.com, learning GNM, German New Medicine. So mm -hmm. learninggnm.com is a great website. Um, there's an app you can get called Biological Decoding. That's going to help you understand if you've been labeled with a condition. One of my models is ditch the diagnosis. So um, Biological Decoding, the app, will help you understand like the neuroemotional stress traumas related to um, your particular condition you've been diagnosed with. Um, mm -hmm. MS is related to a lot of self-devaluation. So the more you look at yourself like, oh, I'm, I'm no good. I can't do that. You know, you start thinking I'm, 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 I have a fear of falling. I'm a fear of losing more things like my walking or my ability to swallow. Um, that's a pretty common one. People get pneumonia because they lose their swallowing reflex and stuff like that. You can start understanding like, what are your patterns? Cause you can see the neuroemotional thread, the conflict that is relevant for your label. Cause it's a label, right? I like mm -hmm. to say, hi, my name is Alex. Not my, hi, my name is whatever diagnosis you might've been given. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't serve me like rip that tag off, throw it on the ground and say, hi, my name's Alex. Pleasure to meet you. It's great to meet you. Whatever it is. So learninggnm.com, biological decoding, um, tap into Dr. Joe Dispenza, listen to um, Bruce Lipton, he's PhD. Um, what else? Oh my gosh, there's so much. I mean, you know, I started off like listening to Zig Ziglar and then I went to Tony Robbins and to Jim Rohn and there's Les Brown, um, you know, 
there's on and on and on. I mean, I listen to Sadhguru. I don't know if you know who Sadhguru is. He's an Indian philosopher. He's a mystic. But one of the greatest things I learned from him was everything that occurs in your life happens within you. Now, let me give you an example. I'll try to use his analogy. When we're having this conversation right now, the light is shining on me. Um, the form is, is being projected through the camera, then through your screen, in your eye. It's upside down. It's flipped around. It's all the pixels are made sense of by your brain. And then you interpret what's going on on the outside on the inside. So I'm happening on the inside of you. If I say something and you have a feeling, it's not what I said that made you feel that way. It was a reaction on the inside of you. Hmm, so literally to, everything, yeah, sound waves coming through the air, it's literally, uh, air is a fluid if you didn't know that. It's moving fluid. Your fluid then moves your tympanic membrane. And that contacts the malleus incus and the stapes, which then turns into the cochlea and all this different middle ear stuff. And also your brain is interpreting all these vibrations in the air and you're making sense of it in your head. Mm -hmm. So if you can take a step back and say, okay, I'm feeling this, that's inside of me. No one outside of me caused it. What is it that triggered that in me? And then you can become empowered to say, okay, I'm taking back my power. I'm no longer a victim of someone else's actions or their words or inactions or lack of things I needed to hear, right? Yeah. Right. And I'm now empowered to live my life, my best life, the life I desire, rather than being beholden to someone else's reactions or thinking like, who do I need to be for Alex today? Like, do I, am I my authentic self or do I tell her what I think I want her, she wants me to hear, right? Yeah, wow. And that's, I'm a recovering perfectionist, mm -hmm. 100%. Like, <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up a chameleon. I was like, I was whoever my mom needed me to be, whoever my dad needed to be, whoever my brother needed to be, girlfriend, friends, teammates, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So I learned the hard way to say, okay, no, I give myself permission to be my true and authentic self. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if nobody, if other people don't like me, I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. Sure. But that first other step, people, other people's messages and their, their true, their truth and their message is going to resonate with people. You know, mm -hmm. for some people, I'm a guy who has no hair and talks a lot. You know, that's okay. <laughs> I am fully aware of that I think we could have this conversation all day long. Um, sure. and I really appreciate all of those resources. We'll make sure to have a list of those on the links in our show notes and to make sure that everybody listening has access to where they can learn more, where they can yes. dig deeper. Um, you know, and I love that you gave us a starting point, just being aware and that the importance physical importance of what awareness can do and what awareness can bring. And so we're just so glad to be able to carry that message and broadcast it out to even, even more people. Um, I want to ask you, you know, people that are really resonating with this message, people that want to get in touch with you specifically around your work at Sequoia Health. I know you're um, in Woodbury, but are you still, are you seeing patients virtually? Do they have to be local? I'm curious how people would get uh, in touch with you and carry yeah. on this conversation forward. Absolutely. Um, we do a, a lot of different things. Um, I have people that call and ask for help when they're in Alaska or in Connecticut or Florida or California, all over the place. And I don't, I've honed my skills enough to the point where I don't necessarily need them in front of me in order to give them accurate recommendations. Because, you know, if you understand that we're all connected, um, you understand that you can tap into that. And we will go into, too nerdy into that and down that rabbit hole. But for us, we do telehealth. Rabbit hole. Rat, no, just kidding. Maybe another time. <laughs> we dive right in. So telehealth, people don't have to be in person. If it's QNRT, it is a hands-on modality. Okay. Um, we understand people have different reservations about how disease works or disease. Um, we're quite frankly of the mindset that these disease are not, does not happen from the outside. If you're going to get sick, it comes from the inside. So mm -hmm. in terms of the, you know, COO, C to the O to the B, A to the I to the D with a dash mm -hmm. 19 on it, that's really a medical diagnosis, right? That's an international code for disease. That's COVID, okay? That's a disease process. Diseases don't exist in my world. Dr. Mark Hyman's when the first person that brought that to my attention to me, for me, is like, diseases are collections of symptoms. Your symptoms are, for me as a practitioner, a breadcrumb trail on how to lead you back out of the woods that you found yourself kind of meandered into and it's dark and scary and a bunch of thorns and can't get out, mm -hmm. right? So doing telehealth is, is perfectly adequate because we can connect, yeah. right? I can look, it's not as easy, like if I get close enough, I could see if your pupils are dilating or things like that. But remember, communication is super important because only 7% of our communication right now is the words coming out of my mouth. 38% hmm. okay? is tone and 55% is our body language. So our facial expressions, yeah. how we move our body, like where I position my hands 
is going to determine whether you trust me or not in part. Mm. Like if I stick my hands in my pocket, you're like, subconsciously, you're like, he's hiding something. I'm not sure what it is. Anything, this is all scientific and your brain is reacting a certain way. So telehealth is great because we can look at each other, we can interact and I can get a sense of like how you're doing. I can look at your, your face lines, whether you've got crow's feet or lines or forehead or chin, or I can have you stick your tongue out. I can look at all different aspects of you because you can look at Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine and, and do a lot of things from a person's expressions and their facial mm -hmm. features. Yeah. But you can also say, okay, if we need to get to the point where you're kind of stuck in the mud, like you're, you ever had your tire stuck in a rut or maybe a snowy part where you got hung up and you're, not, you're spinning your wheels and stuff like that? Right? Oh, yeah, I don't want to talk point. about it. <clears throat> I used to be a Prius driver. That was uh, every winter oh. going down my alley. It's fine. We have great neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> you get up and hopefully you can blow through the snow. Oh, the yep. Fall, Speed is essential. For sure. Yeah. I hear you. I'm yeah. 100% about that. Yeah. So um, coming in for a QNRT reset would be the hands-on. Um, that, that I haven't figured out how to do telehealth. I, I could sure. mail somebody a leave in the mail and say, okay, put it here, put it there, touch here, do that. Stuff oh, like yeah. that. That's a possibility. I haven't explored that yet. <laughs> um, I'm a little too busy here for right now to do that, but so giving you a phone call is the best, best place. And if they're wanting to learn more, um, is it best for them to get on an email list or are you active on Instagram? Where do you find people are really following you most? Um, so we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube. Um, don't oh, dabble. Um, our website is sequoiahealth.com, which is S-E-C-O-Y with the word health.com. That's where it's going to be a, a larger body of information. But that's kind of like a, a brochure. Like all websites are kind of like brochures. Like what, what services do they offer? There's videos on there that can give you a different um, appreciation for what pulse electromagnetic field therapy is, what QNRT is. But um, there's videos I've done about QNRT, um, about chiropractic brain balancing, helping people understand how their body's being affected. Um, you can always call and talk with one of our specialists here on the team. They can help guide you in a path. Say, okay, it sounds like you're a neuro candidate or it sounds like you're a, a we call it tilting. You know, have you ever played pinball before? Oh yeah. If you play pinball on a machine, you don't want it to tilt. Right. But when we, when we get stuck on a path in our life, sometimes we got to tilt our way out of it. Oh yeah. So we, and then the alarm we, goes we, off. It's a whole thing. Yeah, exactly. We, go, we do a total life transformation. So we tilt people out of their patterns, break them out of the rut, help them on a new trajectory. Yes. So that's part of what we do. We call it, we call it tilting your life. I love okay? that so, so much. It's just different options. I mean, we have regenerative medicine here for people who have degenerative joints, people who have um, need facial restoration, sexual restoration, um, I don't do worry about the concrete up here with the hair loss because it's just easier to shave it off every day. So I don't really care about that. But <laughs> in my life when I was insecure enough to say, can I do something like Bosley or something like that? But it's like at this point, like whatever. Dude. You just accept yourself for who you are and you understand like, okay, I'm just not meant to have hair. I'm okay yeah. with it. Yeah. Oh gosh. Thank you so much, Dr. Schilling, for your time, your expertise and everything you shared with us today. Um, and like I had said earlier, if you're listening right now, you can find all of those links um, and every best way there is to connect uh, with Sequoia Health will be all there right, right there for you. Thank you so much for your time. That's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've listened to another episode of the Well-Connected Twin Cities podcast. We regularly sit down with our local wellness professionals and get the inside scoop into what makes holistic healing possible. Check out our events page at wellconnectedtwincities.com and look for the next Thrive Thursday. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram at Well Connected Twin Cities so we can say thank you.